everyone. Welcome to What Really Works, a mental health podcast for young adults and youth. In these podcasts, you can expect to hear us chat about mental health and provide well-being tips and tricks with the odd joke thrown in. What Really Works is brought to you by Discovery College, an initiative ran by the Canadian Mental Health Association, Kelowna, where lived and living experience and learned experience informs everything we do. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello, What Really Works listeners. Thank you for joining us today on our sixth episode. And this episode, again, is kindly donated by Staple Studio. So we're sounding nice and crisp. Woohoo! I didn't, I didn't know that it was our sixth episode already. Yeah. Is it our sixth one? Yes, it is. Oh, dang. That's awesome. We've kind of spread them out a little bit. So to me, it feels like we've done less than that because we're still trying to iron out the kinks of everything. But we're getting there. We sure are. And today we have a guest joining us. We have Kanisha on the phone with us today. Hi, I'm excited to be here. Hi, Kanisha. Thank you so much for joining us. We're super pumped. Um, We're so psyched that you could come and chat with us today. And we were hoping you could tell us about yourself. For sure. Um, So my name is Kanisha. I'm a social work student uh, currently living in Toronto, but lived in Kelowna for most of my life. Um, Really passionate about social justice, um, especially around race, Black Lives Matter, and also LGBTQ plus activism. And I'm also a poet is a fun fact about myself, Um, but I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thank you. We're so super excited to have you here. And we um, reached out to Kanisha because people who have been listening to our podcast might remember that our third episode was our call to action episode where our original plan was to talk about media and how that impacts mental health. But actually, around about that week that we were supposed to record it, the death of George Floyd happened and we knew it wasn't our space to kind of just try and talk about the media at that moment in time. So we wanted to have more of an informed conversation with yourself, Kanisha. Yeah, and we also wanted to, I think just in general, what is really important in this moment to myself and then I think also to Becky and Kanisha and should be important to a lot of people or everyone around the world is focusing on the inequality and inequity that marginalized groups around the world face, especially black groups and black individuals. That's something that we as an organization, but also as individuals want to be able to have more of a conversation about and, you know, be able to share our thoughts and hopefully help some other people begin to explore, you know, where their thoughts are at and everything that's happening and why it needs to change. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, it's been really great to see so much new conversations being started and so much action being taken at this time. I think that's been something hopeful. What I wanted to ask you, and maybe where we'll start, Becky, is just checking in. How how are you doing? How has the media or just everything that's been going on impacted you and your mental health? It's felt like a lot, and I've definitely been feeling that over the past few months. Definitely, I feel like my mental health has kind of been, you know, going on waves right now. I've been feeling a lot of grief, feeling a lot of anger, feeling hopeful in some places and joy. So definitely a lot of overwhelming feelings right now. Yeah, and definitely that's been fluctuating with the media. And that must be so hard to sort through those feelings too. I I think that on a good day, most of the time I don't even know how I'm feeling. I can't imagine 
when there's so many conflicting emotions going on, how you pin down exactly where you're at. And that's important for trying to get a handle on our mental health. So I can only imagine how difficult it has been. Mm-hmm, definitely. I guess what was kind of interesting, what you were talking about as well, Kanisha, was kind of how there's like this real almost like mix of emotions that you're feeling about how there's like a sense of like hopefulness, but then also this anger that's so conflicting to have. And it's this that and that's relates to the media as well, right? Because you have these conflicting emotions. And I think the reason that often that can happen is because the media can be so conflicting. It's this double-edged sword where we see positive things like the potential for change and people rallying together. But then we also see very negative and traumatizing and re-traumatizing images and videos and you know, conversations and comments that people are making. So it makes sense why one might feel hopeful, but also not hopeful. Mm -hmm, Definitely. I think often, especially in media, there's a tendency for us to kind of simplify things and focus on one message. So I know I've in a lot of work around like racial justice and Black Lives Matter, you know, a lot of people trying to really push a message of hope. But I think it's also equally important to acknowledge, you know, the validity of our rage and of our grief and of these strong emotions and saying that those have just as much of a place um, within this movement right now. But definitely something difficult to navigate. Absolutely. And I think another thing that must be difficult to navigate or something that's been called to my attention is the fact that a lot of what we're talking about has been treated like a trend. Mm -hmm. I think especially... That's a really good point that I think I've been seeing a lot of, especially now, is seeing how we had such a huge uprising, you know, around April time and how things are starting to slow down now and really seeing how this has been turned into a trend by some people. I think another big thing that I've been seeing is turning some of this into a meme. So, for example, especially with Breonna Taylor's death or her murder by police, seeing how that's become you know, her name has almost become meaningless because we see it everywhere in these meme formats and shared around like that. And so I think that's been a really, um, a really difficult part to manage because a lot of the times, you know, people have these good intentions behind it. And I think it's time for a lot of people to realize that, you know, good intentions aren't enough and that, you know, this isn't something that's limited to social media, but this is a movement And this is not just a trend right now. Yeah, and I think that's really, really, really important what you were saying about that intention piece and what people are doing publicly versus what people are doing privately. I think there are a lot of people who maybe are putting things with on social media, but then I've also been listening to Black Voices saying, well, your social media sometimes can be a bit of an echo chamber where you're sharing things with people who are maybe in a similar kind of informed position as you are from, you know, we tend to try to surround ourselves with people who maybe are in a similar place to us. So that idea of just sharing things on social media isn't enough. We need to be thinking of what our intentions are outside of that, what our intentions privately, not just on that public face that we have. Mm -hmm, Exactly. I think there's a lot more that we need to we kind of looking at our relationship and kind of the balance between what we do on social media and how we show up in our everyday lives as well and see that um, together. I'm glad that you called attention to the fact that Brianna Taylor and her name and 
her life essentially has in some regard been turned into a meme. I mean, pretty much everyone who I look at that's posting on social media will just post the, you know, we're, we still haven't received justice for Brianna Taylor, which is great that that's being shared, but in the same regard, okay, let's not just keep sharing that same image or that same sentiment. Let's talk about, you know, the reason why justice hasn't been received for Brianna Taylor. Let's talk about the difference between, you know, how black women and black men are treated in the community and in society. And, you know, let's have those conversations and let's see those things shared on social media. So yeah, I think it's also really important to talk about, like you were saying, the difference between the ways that we treat, you know, black women and black men, black trans people, black trans women in this movement, especially and the ways that, you know, are we elevating their voices and their stories as well and fighting for justice for them too? Yeah, there's, let's look at that intersectionality. Let's look at how different positions that we may have in life or our different identities may play into the justice that people receive or don't receive and the treatment that those individuals receive or groups of people receive. I think that that's incredibly important and something that could always be a part of the conversation more. I think maybe where we would like to go next is we spoke about a little bit in the beginning of, you know, just how you're doing and how you've been impacted by everything that's happening right now in your mental health. I'm wondering if you could give us a little bit of an insight into what your self-care looks like during times like this or during this time Um as a mental health podcast, we always like to talk about self-care, hashtag self-care. We can't, <laughs> we can seem to never escape it, but I would really like to just know, you know, what are you doing for yourself? Mm-hmm. I think that's definitely, for me, it's been a learning, a learning point throughout this, these past few months. And I think a lot of other Black people can agree is that often, especially if you're someone who's, you know, on the front lines and really giving everything to this movement and doing so much you know, on social media or out at protests is that it's, it's difficult to recognize even when you need that self-care sometimes. I think especially if you're in a space like Kelowna often is where you might be the only Black person in the room, yeah. you know, you feel this pressure and this obligation to show up. Um, and it can be really hard to know and recognize with yourself when it's getting to be too much. And so for me, that's something that I've been learning through this experience is First, you know, knowing myself better and knowing how to recognize when it's getting too much and when I need to prioritize self-care. And that shows up in different ways in a lot of people. I know for me, one thing that I was feeling was really hypervigilant, especially I did a lot of posting on social media. And so I was constantly on my phone, you know, seeing if someone liked my post, seeing who commented. I was getting a lot of DMs, so I was constantly reading those and responding to those. And it felt like, you know, I was never settled, like I always had my phone. Um, and so it took my family, you know, coming and saying, hey, Kenesha, you need to put that down now and put that aside. Because that was something that I didn't even realize is how like unsettled I was and how hypervigilant I was throughout this. And so learning to recognize that that was a time that I was getting overwhelmed, um, then I could slow down and look into some of these self-care strategies. So I think one of the first steps in self-care is really just recognizing when you need it. Yeah, that's really huge because I like quite often even I find when it comes to self-care, I kind of don't realize I need it until I'm fully burnt out. And 
you know, that's just me with like with my white privilege finding that hard and probably managing far less than what's going on at the moment with the social justice movement. So taking time to recognize how when we're needing that self-care is going to be really huge and really useful so that we can kind of sustain ourselves, I guess. Is there any other ways that you recognize that you needed to take a step back um, other than, you know, your family kind of saying, hey, you've been on your phone a lot. What's going on? Is there anything that you noticed within yourself? You're like, okay, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. I think feeling overstimulated can feel like that. Feeling really overwhelmed by hopelessness, feeling numb in some ways. I know that was something big that I experienced, especially when things started to really get overwhelming as I felt like kind of frozen in place and like I couldn't do anything about it. Feeling breathless or having a racing heart are another sign. Yeah, I think all of these things, it'll show up differently for everyone, but those are some of the ways that, you know, I felt and kind of recognized that this was getting too much and that I needed to be doing something for myself. Yeah, and that's hard to feel, you know, those are really hard emotions to be able to cope with and process. And then it's additionally hard to take action to help ourselves and to practice self-care after that. And we speak a lot about self-care on this podcast and self-care looks different for everyone. Um, what helps and what supports one person may not help and support another person. But for I know for my self-care, something that really, really helps me a lot is talking to people, you know, talking to my family, talking to my friends, going for a hike. Um, Becky, I know that you've mentioned a few things that help you like um, things like setting my boundaries, um, which is hard when I'm already tired and, you know, burnt out and then setting boundaries on top of that is hard. But actually in the long run, like is really supportive for my self-care and things like trying to get some good sleep and some good quality sleep. Yeah, definitely all help me try to like manage myself. Kanisha, have you been able to or found it hard to set your boundaries during this time, especially your boundaries with white people? You mentioned having a lot of DMs, and I can only imagine the amount of white people in your DMs asking for your energy and your time to help them understand this issue or maybe even taking away your energy and taking away your time by arguing about this issue how how have you found that yeah that's definitely been something that you know I've been learning that it's okay to say no I think that's been definitely just a big learning is that it's okay to say no because I think especially you know being from Kelowna um, and the school I was in and kind of the the circles that I was in um, I was often the only black person there and so I was often tokenized as well but I had a lot of people, you know, coming up to me and asking me questions, DMing me saying, you know, what can I do? You know, and with especially with so much heightened awareness right now, there are so many resources out there. So I, you know, learning to say no and say, hey, you know, there's so many resources out there right now. You know, why don't you Google it instead of asking me and taking away my time from this and my energy? So I think learning to say no to some of those requests. Um, and really pushing to other resources has a big thing. I think also for me, I recognize that I have privilege as well. And I think that's why it's important for me to also say no to some of these requests. Because um, I know I'm, in many ways, I've been tokenized in some of these circles that I'm in within Kelowna. Um, and as a lighter skinned Black person, you know, as someone who grew up in white communities, I have, 
you know, this proximity to whiteness that really privileges me. And so part of this has also been learning, you know, how to say no and try to explain that to people and, you know, encourage people to look at other voices as well that are in their community instead of me, who I know for a lot of people, I'm the only Black person that they know. So encouraging them to say, you know, and think about how are you uplifting and listening to dark-skinned Black people, to dark-skinned Black women, to Black trans women, to people, Black people experiencing poverty, to Black sex workers, to, you know, all of these other identities and these, um, you know, intersections within the Black identity. Um, how are you prioritizing that? So that's something that I've also found, I guess, helpful in learning how to say no and, you know, helping people still grow in that way. Yeah, no is a complete sentence is something that we always like to say, but it's a lot harder to say. It's a lot harder to practice and to do than, um, you know, when we talk about it. So, yeah, I think that that's, that's really amazing that you've been able to, you know, find that out and be able to practice those skills because it's, it's really, really tough. And I wanted to say in response, I think for a lot of individuals, one of the first or white individuals, one of the first things that they would have done during this time is, you know, how can I help? How can I help? Exactly like you were saying. But one of the things that I didn't see enough is reaching out to people of color and to black people. If you are white and saying, how are you doing? You know, like, how are you feeling? Is there anything that I can support with? Um, especially if they're your friend, you know, if that's your friend, then you should be checking in as a friend as well, you know? Mm -hmm. I definitely agree. I think there's two sides to that too. I think it can be done in a really great way. And I know I've had, you know, friends in my life that are not black reach out to me, um, you know, and just be like, hey, you know, what can I do to support you right now? Or, you know, um, you know, showing their kind of love to me in their own way. And I found that really helpful. But I think there can also be another side to it, kind of understanding why you're reaching out and what you're hoping to gain from reaching out to these Black people in your life. Mm -hmm. Because I know sometimes it can also be like, kind of come across as pitying um, or, you know, kind of just like curiosity. Like, I want to I wanna hear all the juicy details about how you're struggling right now um, instead of coming off as true concern. So I think it's also important to kind of be aware of that and really your intentions behind it. And, you know, how are you actually going to be supporting the Black people in your life? Not just saying, how are you doing? But I like how you said, you know, how can I support you right now? Yeah, and making sure that you're not reaching out in order to satiate your own guilt mm. over your lack of maybe knowledge or your lack of action or your lack of, you know, branching out and making yourself uncomfortable. I think that's something that we that we should be very aware of as well. Thank you for pointing that exactly. out. That's that's such a good point. I guess in kind of in relation to like those intentions, um, when it comes to um, non-black people or white people, when it comes to allyship. I guess, would you say that's the most important thing when it comes to allyship is like thinking about what is your intention in all of this? Mm -hmm. I think that's a really important consideration um, is really the intentions that you're doing behind your actions. I think especially, um, you know, one example was the Black Lives Matter protest that was held in Kelowna. Um, and I know there was a lot of split opinions about that. And I think the biggest um, issue that a lot of people had with the protest when the way it was organized was the intention behind it. Um, and recognizing that a lot of white people went to that protest, 
um, to sort of assuage their own guilt and just to virtue signal or kind of just say, hey, you know, I'm not racist by holding up a sign and being there Mm -hmm. instead of actually doing the work of actually examining the ways that you have racist beliefs and you hold privilege and the way you benefit from these systems and actively working to dismantle these systems that benefit you at the expense of others. And there's a privilege in even being able to choose to take action or choose to learn about, you know, the struggles of people of color and black people. As a white person, that that is a privilege. So in that, how can we find ways or how do we as white people or non-black people take action and be an ally in a sustainable way. I think that that's something that maybe the conversation is just now turning to a little bit more, but something that we need to talk uh, talk about. How do we be a sustainable ally? And also, you know, how do we? How does a someone who is black sustain their their mental health during this time? Hmm. I think the first thing that I want to talk about is for black folks how you can you know, make sure that you're sustaining yourself and make sure that you're taking care of yourself. Um, I think two of the biggest things that I've found that have been helpful is really connecting with community. So finding what your community is and your Black community, these spaces where you can feel free to show up as your full self. Yeah. I know for me, I've been really privileged to have my sister with me throughout this. Um, and she's always been a person that I can talk to about this and we share a lot of the same experiences. So it helps to, you know, make me feel not lonely and, you know, validate that what I'm feeling is okay, especially when you're in spaces that might be dominated by white people around you. So I think first is finding that community is going to be so helpful. And then the second thing related to it that I found and learned a lot about during this time is seeking and celebrating Black joy and creativity. And I think this is so important because we need to be fighting for something and we need to be have a vision of a future that we want to work towards. You know, that's anti-racist, that's anti-capitalist, that's anti-patriarchy. We need to have that vision. And we, and if we don't have our joy, we can't really imagine that future. We can't really dream of what that looks like. And so having that joy really helps to not only sustain us in the moment, but help us propel us forward towards that future and towards dreaming of something better. So I think having that joy and that creativity has been so important. You know, whether that's creating art, whether that's even just watching a thread of Black people laughing or going on TikTok and watching Black creators, like finding what that joy is for you and actually seeking it and celebrating it and prioritizing that in your life. Yeah, and that like creates, I imagine, such a sense of like hopefulness. Mm-hmm. Definitely a lot of hope there. Um but yeah, just dreaming towards that future. And I guess it also helps, like you say, when you say like propel yourselves forward, it also helps in that sense of like, this is what I'm doing this for, like creating, like helping us see that, like you say, that future, like creating that hopefulness, creating that joy rather than, or, well, not rather than, but it definitely helps with that self-care aspect. It helps with that sustainability because like you say, it brings a, a little bit of light within a lot of this darkness and mm-hmm. tough stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think it's really learning to use joy as a tool of resistance because it is. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Joy is a tool of resistance. That's 
quotable quote that. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the other thing that we were going to talk about in that two-pronged question that I kind of threw at you was long-term activism. And I think that that's something that Becky and I can actually speak to as, you know, two white people that are trying to do better because no one is doing the best that they can, right? We can always be doing better. And especially as white people, um, there's significant room for a lot of us to be doing better and looking within ourselves and looking to learn. I think it's been a trend for white people to say, you know, I'm willing to learn. I want to learn. But what are you actually doing? How are you sustaining this in your life? And, you know, what real changes are you going to make that not only your the circle around you can actively see, but that people beyond your circle can see. And maybe that's something that I can ask you, Becky, is like, what have what have you been doing? What do you plan on doing? How has this affected you personally? Um, what are your, what are your next steps? Um, the kind of first step, I guess, when um, the social justice movement really was kind of ramping up on social media was just taking time to listen and learn um recognizing that I know very little um and that I will never fully know and fully understand but I can certainly take time to become more informed understand where I am within intersectionality and where you know who I am as a person and privilege that comes with me as a person um and yeah understanding intersectionality and um systematic racism so I took a lot of time to just listen um and when I was doing that I realized that my social media wasn't very diverse um I realized especially like my Instagram which is probably the social media I use most frequently um I kind of just followed a lot of people who lived in vans and their little stories which when also you look back there are all these white people traveling with probably lots of money um and privileged to be able to do that and so yeah I took time to find and diversify the people I followed so I began following um a lot more black creators a lot of um black historians um where I could it could be a place of learning for me, my social media, rather than it just being aimless scrolling, um, you know, to help myself become more informed. So that's definitely where I kind of started. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something I'm going to be keep on doing is keep on learning. I think it's, it's going to be a lifelong thing. And I guess that's where my hopefully that long term activism and allyship will be is that idea that I'm. I can always learn more. I can always find out more. And a huge part of that goes back to what you mentioned, Kanisha, about how I need to find those resources myself. Maybe look at resources that are compiled by members of the black community. But if I have questions, then I need to kind of research that myself first before relying on a black person to educate me and inform me because I like, I need to do the work myself. So that's kind of where I started and I'm hoping to kind of move forward with. Kanisha, what do you hope to see from white people in terms of sustained and long-term allyship? I think one of the biggest things is social media has been a really great tool for educating people. 
And I've, it's been really great to see so much more awareness about so many of these issues. And I think something that's really important for sustainability is really moving past just awareness, going towards unlearning some of these things, going towards relearning um, new ways of knowing. So unlearning maybe these assumptions that you've been taught about Black people or people of color, you know, relearning, you know, the narratives that we draw around our experiences and our stories, our histories. So I think really moving past awareness and really letting this kind of transform your outlook on the world. Another thing that I've seen a lot of people talking about now, and I think it's worth talking about further is, you know, even just questioning what we mean when we say allyship, because oftentimes I think a lot of people's perception of ally is sort of just, you know, I'm not actively against this. Um, but I think allyship needs to be more. And I think even kind of rethinking the words that we use. Um, I saw this really great post that was talking about, you know, we don't need more allies. We need more traders. We need people who are actively going to be looking at these systems that are made to benefit you at the expense of others mm -hmm. and to be traders against the system that benefits you to be actively dismantling it and taking away these, this privilege to put to benefit all of us. And so I think that's been something that I think a lot more discussion we can have about that is really, you know, what do we even mean when we say allyship and looking towards, yeah, dismantling these systems. Yeah. And when you say dismantling these systems and, you know, really being willing to, I think for myself to give up some of your privileges. I think that that needs to be something that white people think about. Are you really an ally or are you very comfortable in where your life is at? And of course, you know, you like the privileges that you have, but what are those privileges? How can you challenge those ideas? And how dedicated are you to equity and to equality and to this ideas? What would you be willing to give up within your within your own life because I think that that's something that a lot of people you know don't really think about is how would my life change if and when this moves forward mm -hmm. I think exactly another thing like you know often we talk about like empowering different groups so like marginalized people you know and often it's not the empowerment that we need you know it's we need just people to step to the side and allow others to rise up and I think that's really ties into that as well. Becky, when you were kind of saying what you do or what you have done as far as, you know, beginning to learn a bit more, I think that that's, you know, really great of you to admit that, hey, I didn't really know a lot and I'm working on it and it's something that I really do need to work on. I feel as though a lot of individuals have an assumption that they already know quite a bit about um, the injustices that black people face in their everyday life, especially white people believe, you know, I've been to school, I've taken a history lesson, I know, I know about this and I know that I'm not racist, but actually we need to think more of, I know that I am white and I know that I have white privilege. How have I been indoctrinated into a racist ideology right like how am I guilty of this and how can I actively work against that um, not just not just assuming yeah. that we are in the right and that we are not a part of the problem because more likely than not we are a part of the problem no matter how many courses no matter how many books no matter how many black friends that you have we're still actively in a lot of ways a part of what needs to change yeah 
And I think that's one of the biggest things I've been learning and I'm trying to practice a lot more is that critical thinking rather than just taking things as is when I read it or just like the things that are kind of, you know, uh, the way that they are in my life and the way that systems are like a big thing I've kind of discovered and trying to practice more is that idea of critical thinking like questioning like what is it that I get out of this and like how can how does this affect other people and that's being written that way but that's from the perception of the writer and the writer's background is this kind of you know like when you're kind of taught in school and you have to do a history project and it's like you need to look at this um propaganda poster and I never really thought about how that was applicable in my life and now I'm like oh actually like this is really applicable I need to be questioning things a lot more and then being able to move forward with those questions and those answers one of the kind of well we're running out of time here but one of the last things maybe that I wanted to mention is a really wonderful idea that I heard I can't remember who I heard it from it was on a podcast of recognizing you know that each and every one of us needs to do our part and needs to like you said practice those critical thinking skills and you know step aside and let others rise and really look into ourselves and see where our own privilege lies Um, and be willing to be uncomfortable. But I will answer my own question of what I've been doing as far as long-term activism and sustained allyship. And I love that you mentioned just even questioning that word, Kanisha. I think that that's definitely something that I need to think about. But thinking about, you know, this isn't, how can I implement these ways of thinking and new ways of thinking into my everyday life that's going to make a difference? We all have our own priorities. We all have our own lives. That's just how the world works and that's how we are as humans. So how can you make a difference in your workplace? How can you make a difference in your family? How can you make a difference and start to unlearn things in your own social circle? You know, like doing something with Discovery College, like being willing to have those conversations and actively make it a part of your life rather than just something that you're posting about on social media. And as well as donating, 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 and voting, 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 voting. There are amazing individuals who their job every day is to be an activist. Give money to those people. Not everyone is an activist. Not everyone works 24 hours a day to make change. We all need to make change within ourselves, but we need to give to people that are on the front lines, that are doing that work, and that are actively trying to make change every single day. Kanisha, do you have any questions for me and Olivia? Just putting you on the spot there. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think just really, I think it's just really important for us to continue, you know, recognizing that, you know, it's never enough. I mean, um, like, you'll, you'll never know everything. That is a constant journey. Um, And I think another thing, that we need to get more used to is you know that it's probably going to be uncomfortable to be questioning these things that you might have didn't even realize that you thought you know to be questioning these systems that you live in you know the way that you see the world um and i think really just being open to that discomfort and also being you know open to the you know the inevitability that you might get things wrong um and that it's okay to apologize and to grow past and I think that's something, a skill that, you know, in doing long-term activism is something that you're going to have to learn. You know, keep listening, keep 
being critical about the voices that you are listening to, you know, who are you not hearing from, who's not part of your activism right now, and just, you know, really be open to this being a lifelong journey. Keep listening, keep learning, and most of all, keep taking action. Thank you so much for joining us, Kanisha. We really, really appreciate your willingness to come and talk to us and be a part of this podcast and just use your energy and use your time in order to help us do this. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And thank you, everybody, to listening today. Um, We hope it's been really informative and educational for you. And if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at Discovery College and we will answer your questions and hope and be able to get back to you and let us know what you want to hear more of and if you enjoyed this conversation that we've had today. All right. Well, goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks again for listening to us. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can find us on all major podcast streaming platforms. And if you don't want to miss on any future episodes, you can follow or subscribe to What Really Works. To find more from Discovery College, go to discoverycollegecolona.com. Thanks again to Staples Studio in supporting us to produce this podcast.